Support for On Being with Krista Tippett comes from the Fetzer Institute, helping build the spiritual foundation for a loving world. Fetzer envisions a world that embraces love as a guiding principle and animating force for our lives, a powerful love that helps us live in sacred relationship with ourselves, others, and the natural world. Learn more by visiting Fetzer.org. I'm Krista Tippett, still recording from my den. Up next, my unedited conversation with musician Devendra Banhart about Pema Chodron's book, When Things Fall Apart. There is, as always, a shorter produced version of this wherever you found this podcast. Here we go. Hello, hello. Oh, now we have, a ca- we have the counter and we've begun recording. And hello, nice to, to sort of meet you again. <laughs> Yes, it is. Do you, so do we not, we don't need levels or anything because, because such a thing is not possible. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, okay. so, um, this is, um, experimental, but I figure since you're a musician, you know about improvisation, <laughs> right? Oh, that's funny. This is a, this is an interview version of improvisation, <laughs> um, both technically and content-wise. Um, I, I I love that the idea of the improvisational conversation. Good, you know. Yeah. I mean, because they all are, unless you're it's some uh, like a play. Every yeah. conversation is kind of improvisational. It's an adventure. Cool. Yeah. I mean, if it's good, you don't you'll be surprised by where it goes, right? Well, then I won't be surprised. <laughs> but I mean, this is the form here is different too. Let's say this is a new genre um, because mm. um, this idea that, well, first of all, you know, we're both speaking from isolation and yes. reading this book that we've both read as life has fallen apart again and again, but in a very special, catastrophic way right now. And, Mm -hmm. um, and I, and this kind of, yeah, so I, I don't know. So the idea is that we would just, um, kind of talk to each other about what's going on right now, but through, or how, how, yeah, to talk through the wisdom in this, in Pema Chodron's When Things Fall Apart. And... I said to my colleagues before you got on, I said, I'm not feeling very wise today. Um, I think we get her wisdom in our midst. And let's just, let's just see what happens, how this works. Um, thank you for sending the passages that you marked up from your book. I hear that you have five copies of this book. I have at least three, and they're they're not. I have two here in my house, and I I think I have. I know the one that you that you sent that you took a picture of. I have at the office. Yeah, that was kind of interesting too to look at um, what was marked up in the different copies, (laughs) which was probably a story of what was going on at that moment in my life when I read it last. Um, I had the same feeling. Did you? I've got the twentieth anniversary edition because. When I first got this book, it was that, this is that book that you, you give to friends. I mean, this is that book that you just mail to people, like on my Amazon list. I, I, there's yeah. like four different, maybe at this point, four or five addresses. 
and it's just be- to send this book to um in the past it's not like i'm over <laughs> it'd be really funny if i keep sending the book over and over again um <laughs> but but my version it is it's got all these bookmarks already in it and yeah. And so I was just going through them and going, okay, that, that definitely works now. That's definitely applicable now. But also I can imagine maybe some lines didn't actually really strike me. And, and now they feel like, oh, this is exactly what's happening now. Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember um, when you first discovered this book or how you discovered it? I don't. And I knew that that was going to be a question. And I <laughs> don't have an answer. And and. Yeah. And so I've been thinking about that, you know, obviously I've known that that's going to be a question. Okay. When did I come across this book? And I don't know exactly how, and all I can think is that it was so ubiquitous for so long in, in like peripherally in my life that it got to the point where I probably at one point said, oh yeah, you know, when things fall apart. Like not having even read it, and and then yeah. I realized, okay, this is weird, and and I need to just read this book, and so that was quite a few years ago, but um, it was just kind of you read about it. It's almost like a book you read about and hear yeah. about for so long. Yeah. It, it, I think there's some analogy with like be here now. Mm-hmm. Ram Das is be here now because which you know, I also which I actually just uh, read. This last year for the first time, I think, or for the first time in 30 years. But you probably heard about it for but quite a But I heard about time. it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's interesting that that's your answer because I, that, this felt like a question I couldn't not ask. But when I even asked it to myself, I, I have no memory of like when. Because, and I, I think I have no memory of like an origin story with this book coming into my life because I feel like it's accompanied me through, uh, you know, ever since. In, mm-hmm. uh, and I think for me also, I, um, I'm somebody who resisted the knowledge that things fall apart or that I, you know, for a long time. And then I think when you finally accept that that is actually in the nature of reality again and again, um, you, you know, you, 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 you start, you see it. And I think like this book has... It's a book, I think it's like you said, I've given it to people. And also, I just always have it somewhere. It's, you know, sometimes buried under a bunch of other books on my coffee table. But I carry it with me when I travel, you know, just in case I need it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like, what kind of book is this? What do you tell mm-hmm. somebody? What What is this? If someone says, what is this book? And and the only answer I can think of is, is like uh, applicable wisdom, utilitarian wisdom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it really is that tool. Okay. Do I have my phone? Do I have a copy of when things fall apart? <laughs> because I'm going to, I'm going to need it through yeah. the day because yeah. it's like I, that thing, like you said, accepting that things fall apart. <laughs> Is something I've been resisting yes. for my entire life, and it's something that's been happening every day. That's right. <laughs> and so, and so, it's not like once I realized, oh, that one time I realized that things do fall apart, and I need to accept that everything is impermanent. I need to accept that uncertainty yeah. is the name of the game. Yeah. I need to accept that everything is ever changing, mm-hmm. like that one time, and then I never had to deal with that ever again. It's, it doesn't work yeah. that way, and so, it is something to to like to have in your tool belt kind of. Yeah. 
Well, I want to, um, I really just want to kind of walk through the passages that you sent and talk about them. I did, I did pull out my copy um, and thought maybe just as we start, because you didn't send any passages from the very beginning of the book. And I thought mm. maybe I'd just read some things that are, you know, that I come back. It's like you start the book at the beginning. I mean, I, I will read the same chapter of this book over and over and over again, you know, depending mm. on what's going on. Um, just to also kind of set the scene, knowing that some people who listen to us won't, won't have read it. Um, I mean, I just, you know, okay. I mean, this is the very beginning. It's about fear, intimacy with, intimacy with fear. It's the first chapter, and what could be more? I don't even want to use the word relevant because it's too mild right now, right? Mm. We are all, we feel this fear in our bodies. Um, embarking on the spiritual journey is like getting into a very small boat and setting out on the ocean to search for unknown lands. With wholehearted practice comes inspiration, but sooner or later we will also encounter fear. For all we know, when we get to the horizon, we are going to drop off the edge of the world. Like all explorers, we are drawn to discover what's waiting out there without knowing yet if we have the courage to face it. Um, this is like on the next page. I'm just going to read a few passages. that Impermanence becomes vivid in the present moment. So do compassion and wonder and courage. And so does fear. In fact, anyone who stands on the edge of the unknown, fully in the present without reference point, experiences groundlessness. That's when our understanding goes deeper, when we find that the present moment is a pretty vulnerable place and that this can be completely unnerving and completely tender at the same time. <laughs> Just that's so... Also, I think this experience of the unknown right now, but that notion of the unnerving and the tender coexisting, I've always thought is so beautiful. It's like the opposite of the world we live in like meaning this is truth this is reality this is how we actually always feel this is what's kind of always going on and you don't hear about it <laughs> in your day-to-day -day in the world it's not like in the news next to what's happening but it's there it's bubbling under the surface that that uncertainty and that that fear and that that thirst too to to yeah. kind of go on on something like a discover a journey of self discovery let's say but it's it's so nice because you don't feel so alone that's how kind of how I feel reading the book too I go oh gosh I'm not alone yeah and I love thanks for reading that and I guess I kind of want to hear that four hundred more times yeah and then. What it also makes me, reading it right now, is, you know, again, this, this realization that every time I've read this, literally maybe hundreds of times in the last few years, when something small or large was going on in my life, in my personal life, in the world, at work, you know, whatever, um, I've had to, I've, I've, ex I've recognized, as you say, that reality that's always in us, but hidden, not unspoken. And then right now, so right now is this extreme, it's, it's, an, ex it's an extreme kind of technicolor version 
of things mm-hmm. falling apart for everybody all at once. But it's also, at the same time, a magnification of something that's happening all the, t- all the time, right? We recognize this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I think that's why I, 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 it, it can really kind of strike a chord with anybody and you can just categorize it as wisdom. Because wisdom is so, it's, I mean, it's really not owned by anyone or any particular philosophy or system yeah. or like kind of religion, right? But I guess it would be weird if, same thing with like Be Here Now, mm. that book is rooted in a lot of Hindu and Vedantic wisdom, but it's kind of channeled or filtered through like the heart and soul of Ram Das. Yes. But that's the that's that's the tradition it's coming from. And this is coming from, you know, a Buddhist tradition, but it doesn't really have any of that kind of it doesn't necessarily you don't have to be a Buddhist to no. kind of get into it and, and to feel it. That's why it just kind of can go under wisdom. I mean it has this lightness to it, I suppose even though it is it's coming from an explicitly buddhist place but but it's so it feels very universal you know i mean it's just like completely what's happening right now and what's happening right now is also what's kind of happening in us all the time mm-hmm. you yeah know. it's like a why it's it's this tradition being this lens through which a person who is living fully in their body fully fully in the world going through life then is able to articulate bedrock reality. On page 36, I have just underlined one sentence, or not even a sentence, it's a part of a sentence, which is, without anxiety about imperfection. Mm. And, And that feels like, oh, what a relief. Yeah. Because, you know, that's what I mean when I say, like, the world doesn't talk about this. The world is all about be perfect. The world is all about be make yourself better. And I'm working on myself, and I'm working on myself till I'm perfect. I mean, really, that's like an insane delusion. And and so suddenly you read something like, oh, my gosh, the, without the anxiety about imperfection. Because we are imperfect, and that's such a beautiful thing to hear, such a relief, because you don't hear it in the world at all. Yeah, and the 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 piece of truth in there that is so immediately so immediately obvious, and yet the hardest thing to practice is that that anxiety about imperfection adds this layer, like that the anxiety itself is the pro- is the problem as much as the seeking after perfection, right? This mm. thing we do to ourselves. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Like be okay with being imperfect as opposed to try mm-hmm. to be perfect. Both I mean it's just it's just nuts, you know. Mm-hmm. It's just nuts. And 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 this is kind of like, oh, okay, I'm not alone in always suspecting that it was a bit nuts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, do you want to read um you mark some passages in in chapter 7 hopelessness yeah. and death. <laughs> hopelessness and death. Ah. <laughs> A real, you know, yeah. Uppy. You know, start on something light. Let's start light and, <laughs> yeah. and, and, and easy. <laughs> so, yeah, okay, let's see. Page 37, chapter 7, Hopelessness and Death. 
If we're willing to give up hope that insecurity and pain can be exterminated, then we can have the courage to relax with the groundlessness of our situation. This is the first step on the path. Turning your mind towards the Dharma does not bring security or confirmation. Turning your mind toward the Dharma does not bring any ground to stand on. In fact, when your mind turns toward the Dharma, you fearlessly acknowledge impermanence and change and begin to get the knack of hopelessness. In Tibetan, there's an interesting word, yetangche. The ye part means totally, completely, and the rest of it means exhausted. Altogether, yetangche means totally tired out. We might say, totally fed up. It describes an experience of complete hopelessness, of completely giving up hope. This is an important point. This is the beginning of the beginning. Without giving up hope, that there's something better to be, that there's someone better to be. We will never relax with where we are or who we are. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, right, who would it think? Hopelessness, that's, that's the place to start. But it makes so much sense. <laughs> it, well, it does. It's, it's funny because I... I don't know, hadn't this, the hopelessness piece, of course, I, again, I've read it a hundred times, but when you mark, you know, we had marked this passage and I, that language had slipped my mind and it almost actually felt a little bit dangerous, you know, right now. Mm. Um, <laughs> I get that for sure. Yeah. The, the, even of oh, that Tibetan word, totally, completely exhausted. I mean, just what an image. And I also, when I read that, I think of, you know, it's hard to be alive right now and have a modicum of security and not be overwhelmed in thinking about so many people who, you know, for, the gra- for whom the groundlessness is literal. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, 100%. I think I've, I've never, I mean, I look forward to, um, I guess here on the West Coast, it's 8 p.m. when um, we, we all start cheering and clapping yeah. um, for first responders and, and people that are working in the medical community, uh, healthcare workers. That's, so at 8 p.m., pots and pans start banging and people start hollering and clapping and somebody plays the national anthem on their electric guitar like super loud <laughs> and i live in um in this neighborhood in, in in east los angeles and it's just uh amazing it's beautiful it's beautiful it's a really wild thing and I grew up in Venezuela, in, Car- in Caracas, Venezuela. And the last time I heard this was when they were trying to oust the president, Carlos Andres Perez, by Chavez, trying to oust the president, which is so weird. The people were on his, and it's the whole thing, but they were banging on the pods, yelling, son nadie, son nadie, que salga Carlos Andres. But people, it was like propaganda. People didn't know what they were cheering for. It was just like total manipulation to get people to just the madness of the crowd, right? And then yeah. this is this, homegrown expression of gratitude and love 
And it's so, the difference is just night and day. Right. And I haven't felt it since I was, I guess I must have been 11 years old last time I experienced that in Caracas. And so, um, you know, but what's amazing about this passage is that, you know, when I say, again, so much about this book is like, oh, this is, feels really real. This feels really yeah. true. But I don't really read about this in the news or through my day, throughout throughout my kind of regular life conditioning. And it's like, you think at the end of hope, that's it. Oh, man, that's it. I've given up. And so it's over. But actually, that's when it really begins. And and I think that is so uh, ironically, so inspiring and hopeful. But it's really got to give up it's hope. It's true. You know, it's like, yeah, the, 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 I asked a friend once why they started, um, let's say, along this along something like a, a contemplative practice, why they started to practice. And they said, well, I just was faced with the futility of this day-to-day mundane existence for the last time. <laughs> right. But what a luxury to even have that hopelessness. I mean, I feel like that's, I guess, why I went on that tangent about clapping at 8 p.m. for people that are so in it that, yeah. that, that it's just, I, uh, you know, right. we're all going through this, but in such different ways. And there's a there's a line she has I think at the at the very maybe at the very end of the very first chapter where she has this phrase of being nailed to the present moment. Mm. What life really is when we let things fall apart and let ourselves be nailed to the present moment. That's such an amazing image to think of. What you're talking about there, uh, people were applauding. Absolutely. Yeah, that one, you just, that's really, it shakes you out of your thing. Yeah. Because, of course, for all of us, this is happening to me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this whole pandemic is happening to me. <laughs> you yeah. know? And then at that moment, you hear the entire neighborhood and you go, oh, wait a minute. Like yeah. today, I was, my complaints, what are my issues, my problems? They all <laughs> just go like, out the window. Somebody else was in a hospital mm-hmm. dealing with just dying humans all day and wow that definitely nails you to the present moment and humbles you and fills you with gratitude i mean for 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 your situation for your circumstance when i say you i mean me because you know i i I just know that i've got it i'm very fortunate the um the language of you know groundlessness and hopelessness um yeah, it's it's that it's also that um it's that paradox that I feel like this book, when things fall apart, just brings it home again and again. It's it's when you stop pretending that there's this solid, fixed, reliable, secure ground beneath your feet that you can actually in some ways like that you can actually like be planted in reality. Um and also that how fragile it is to live that way, which I guess is what we've learned. I was, I was, um, you know, I use the word hope a lot, and I, I always use it, and I always say hope is muscular, right? Hope is a muscle. Hope is a choice, and hope is in like optimism, which is like wishful thinking. Um, so it challenges me when Pema Chodron you know, uses this language of hopelessness. So then I was looking farther in the chapter after you sent your passages and um, 
do you remember this? It's on. I think it's on the next page. She says that the, there's the word in Tibetan for hope is rewa. The word for fear is dokpa. And there's a word that is used which combines hope and fear. And she said, she says, hope and fear is a feeling mm. with two sides. As long as there's one, there's always the other. Um, mm. In the world of hope and fear, we always have to change the channel, change the temperature, change the music, because something is getting uneasy, something is getting restless, something is beginning to hurt. We keep looking for alternatives. There's another place she says, you could even put abandoned hope on your refrigerator door instead of more conventional aspirations. Like, every day in every way, I'm getting better and better. <laughs> oh, I love that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I love that. Uh. <laughs> I gotta, yeah. So what she's saying is that, is that when we let that go, we, we get real. And as you say, it is paradoxically actually true. You know, I have a tattoo hope. gun, and I think I just found my next tattoo. Abandon hope. <laughs> Abandon I mean, I might, I've never wanted to get a face tattoo, but I'm, I'm going to consider it. Just, wow. <laughs> First thing I want to see in the morning. It's great. It's so it's freeing because it's, you know... Uh, Oh, I love that. I love right. that. Right, but just keep, explain why it's freeing. Because every time I start explaining it to myself here, I feel like it doesn't make sense. Well, I will explain it by reading another passage. Okay. From 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 a different from actually the right the previous page. So this is the passage, and this is why I think it, it explains why it's so freeing to hear abandoned hope. To think that we can finally get it all together is unrealistic. To seek for some lasting security is futile. To undo our very ancient and very stuck habitual patterns of mind requires that we begin to turn around some of our most basic assumptions. Believing in a solid, separate self, continuing to seek pleasure and avoid pain, thinking that someone out there is to blame for our pain. One has to get totally fed up with these ways of thinking. One has to give up hope that this way of thinking will bring us satisfaction. Suffering begins to dissolve when we can question the belief or the hope that there's anywhere to hide. Yeah, that does it. Yeah. That does it. <laughs> mm. I really, though, think that there's something very cool about what you said, that hope is a muscle, though. I mean... Yeah. Well, I like to think that that what this gets at a bit is the inadequacy of words, right? So that, mm. like, that hope is not... That that contains a meaning that... Is is different from this hope, exactly. hope fear, I, it, this fear hope. We, we should clarify that we're not saying that hope is bad and that we're anti hope. We're not anti hope. <laughs> no. No, but we are. We are kind of. It's more the reality of of a facing that you that this delusional hope that's yeah. based on escaping suffering or just making everything good or running from something that feels bad, as opposed to. You know, that, that line, suffering begins to dissolve when we can question the belief or the hope that there's anywhere to hide. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. We're stuck together. We're in this together. There's yeah. nowhere to hide. There's a billion distractions and so much of our entire 
you know, life is spent in those distractions. And those are very, you know, kind of subjective things, whatever our distraction is. I mean, I've got a zillion, quadrillion, but, you know, the hope that that suffering will go away if I don't look at it, that's not the, yeah. that's the wrong kind of hope. That's, that's the hope we're not so into. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, she also, she talks about that hope of <clears throat> the addict, that hope we get addicted to. So I think like you're talking about like the hope, that, the, the ways we distract ourselves. Oh, sure. Right. right. Like someday and if only those words yeah. that are like yeah. the the worst words in the world. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, I'm going to do the thing. Well, someday, I'm, someday will always keep us from doing the thing. And then if only will always keep us from doing the thing. So that, that hope in those kinds of in this imagined projected future that's the wrong kind of hope too but yeah. hope as a muscle is so beautiful like i'm gonna work on 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 that on hope and so it's kind of like positive I, how about this it's kind of like what are our real actual superpowers okay mm. like human superpowers are are like patience oh mm-hmm. wow like i'm gonna work on this like superpower because if i called patience i'm gonna work on this superpower called kindness i'm gonna work on a superpower called gratitude because if i've got those things if i really am like i'm gonna work on that whoa yeah. like i can kind of maneuver through this through this world with these like superpowers you know like i don't know and hope is part is one of them too yeah i <clears throat> i get yeah i love that and so when i like when i think of of hope that way, and I think it's true of everything you just said. The other superpowers they they work with reality, right? I'm not interested in something that works with mm. ideals, really, um, mm. or again, like wishes. Um, but gratitude that is like based in reality, and reality as it is, and not as we wish it to be. Patience and hope and love; those are hard, you know, hard robust you're right they're superpowers it doesn't exactly like you said though it's not a wishing thing it's like i have hope that someday this will all the bad stuff will go away right no no it's that i have i have hope that i can deal with this badness that is definitely here (laughs) with patience with kindness and find something to be grateful for from it Mm -hmm. and it's like whoa that becomes the superpower where i can deal with this real thing Mm -hmm. like i I have no faith. I have zero, zilch, zero faith in, in today being a good day. Today will not be a good day. <laughs> right, right. But, but I can try to do good today. Yeah. You know, today yeah. I'm gonna like, I'm going to do a good thing. I'm going to try to do good. But today is not going to be a good day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If it, and if it is, it will surprise you and be a pleasant, a pleasant thing, a pleasant surprise. Do you want to? Uh, so you also mark some passages in, um, yeah, another delightfully titled chapter, non-aggression and the four maras. Mm. Um, now you, you are you have a Buddhist practice. Um, although I've seen you say somewhere that you're a terrible Buddhist, which I think. Yes, this is true. <laughs> yeah, which I think is a sign of. Just doing it, right? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it is just posing because I'm like, oh, I know I'm supposed to say I'm a bad Buddhist. And I'm a good Buddhist. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
but yes, I have. A, I, I'm a practicing uh, Vajrayana Buddhist. I'm a card-carrying Buddhist. <laughs> yes. Swallow the Kool-Aid. And um, I have two teachers actually, and one of them is is a is a Buddhist teacher um, named Neten Chokling Rinpoche, and I also have a teacher uh, who teach is a more of a I suppose meditation and more based on kind of more uh, Vedantic traditions, and he's a teacher named Prem Rawat or other or Maraji, yeah. but obviously Maraji is just the title, but his name is Prem Rawat, and that's actually who named me, so I. That that's a relationship that goes from the day I was born. He was your parents' guru, right? Correct. Correct. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and still is, and I mm-hmm. still uh, practice the type of meditation that he teaches. And then, mm-hmm. uh, th- yeah. And then some years ago, I just couldn't. It was like becoming Buddhist was like um, asking my parents if I could marry someone. If, if that makes sense, it's like I was born with my, the in, faith. My, in a family. Yeah, and yeah. I was like, oh, can I? I choose this person to marry. <laughs> yeah, like I'm, you know, yeah. and um, and so, but those two things are not. Um, there's no kind of con- conflict between them. <laughs> you know, I'm just going to tell you a minute ago when you um, mentioned Ram Das, I actually was at the very last retreat he did. Um, in Hawaii? Hawaii last December oh. yeah like and he died a week later it was it was an oh. incredible incredible experience I'm so grateful for and one of the things I was so aware of is that what you said I mean first of all I think you know there's so many generalizations and reductions in this culture about Buddhism you know and in fact you know he's so rooted in Hinduism actually and but it was so spacious, and um, that was actually. I mean, there were many beautiful things about it, including, of course, just his presence, the way he was dying. Mm. Um, right? It was that was transformative to be present to. But um, but also, I get. I'm really wary when people try to say, oh, what do all these religions have in common, you know, or kind of leap mm. to like what we would all, but there was something so profound and so encompassing of, of the best that I know of, of, of the great traditions. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we could have met then because I bought my tickets. I signed up. I even bought my air, my air, airline ticket. And then I had to go on tour for that oh. very same uh, retreat in Hawaii. I'm sorry you missed it. Yeah. But how cool. I can't yeah. believe it. You were there. You're so fortunate. Yeah. Yeah, I felt that too. So, I like, think, yeah, go on, go on. No, 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 that I'm just totally with you. And I think that's why, you know, he was such an uh, influential and mm-hmm. kind of beloved bridge, you know, really this yeah. bridge. I mean, he talked about God all the time, and that was so refreshing for me. Coming from you know my 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 lineage, my the my um, mother tongue and my spiritual homeland is you know is Christianity and and Judaism is really important to me. And yeah, I didn't go there expecting to find a bridge between these things, but I absolutely did. And and it had I, such depth and such you know it was so so at the same time it was so completely. Um, 
it's so honored that the particularities and the you know the, the depth of the of the different traditions you know there's that beautiful quote which is treat everyone you meet as if they were god in drag <laughs> from ramdas yeah yeah so ramdas has that quote treat everyone you meet as if they were god in drag and yeah. that's just pure yeah um that's pure um what is it when what people think is the best kind of love? Um, unconditional, yeah. Mm. That's just unconditional mm. love and the recognition mm. of this of this transcendent thing. Yeah. Everywhere. Yeah. So it's so non. It's so beautiful. Oh, treat yeah. everyone you meet as if they're a god and drag. Yeah. Wow. I mean, who cares <laughs> right. about anything else? Right. Who cares? <laughs> So you know, like in this in this chapter in when things fall apart about non-aggression and the four maras. I mean, is your is your Buddhist? Are you steeped in that kind of teaching, like of the maras, the obstacles? Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So would you? Because I explain that because like th- these are the kinds of details that are also so interesting to experience as somebody reading this book who doesn't come um, from the depths of this tradition. Well, there's a line that's very beautiful, I think, and it's attributed to Shakyamuni Buddha, which is, rest in a mind vast like sky. Rest mm. in a mind vast like sky. Mm. And, and, and just that line is kind of expansive and, and creates the space in my imagination. And that's kind of what the Maras, to some degree, or at least the attitude towards obstacles or what we want to call the devil. I mean, Mara is the devil in Buddhism, sure. Mm-hmm. And an actual, you know, like this entity that is trying to prevent Shakyamuni Buddha from reaching enlightenment and trying to tempt him just like the devil and Christianity tempts Jesus, I guess. Um, but I don't know anything about, I don't know anything. First off, I should clarify the start of this whole conversation. For, I don't know anything. But anyways, uh, not knowing anything, I will continue with a little bit. I do know. Okay. So this like thing of um, these obstacles or these devils, but as opposed to this thing that you want to banish and that you want to run from, you really like that line, that Shakyamuni Buddha line, rest in a mind vast like sky. You rest in a mind, in a heart so big that, it, that everything is included. So it's just your kind of field of, of presence and awareness and, and compassion is so big that it, it just engulfs these obstacles. So it just makes it... It's about how do you kind of work with the obstacle? Do you, do you know, as opposed to running from it or pretending like it's not there, you just, you embrace it. Um, and that's kind of my general understanding of the, something like the, the Maras. Yeah, I mean, I just so appreciate the psychological sophistication and clarity of this these traditions. I mean, this, Pema Chodron in some place, this is how she um, just um, summarized the four Maras. And, you know, as you said, as you were saying about this whole book, there's just such deep truth being spoken that lands in your body as, well, of course, I've always known this, but I never put words around it. Right? So one Mara is seeking pleasure. One is trying to be who we think we are. Mm. <laughs> the third, how we use our emotions to keep ourselves dumb or asleep. Oof. Yeah. And the fourth was fear of death, by which she doesn't just mean the big death which is one form of death, but all the many small deaths that happen in the course of days and weeks in a life. Mm. 
Do you want to read some of what you yeah. what you circled there? Okay. On the night on which he was to attain enlightenment, the Buddha sat under a tree. While he was sitting there, he was attacked by the forces of Mara. The story goes that they shot swords and arrows at him and that their weapons turned into flowers. What does this story mean? My understanding of it is that we habitually regard as obstacles... Oh, my understanding of it is that what we habitually regard as obstacles are not really our enemies, but rather our friends. What we call obstacles are really the way the world and our entire experience teach us where we're stuck. What may appear to be an arrow or a sword, we can actually experience as a flower. Whether we experience what happens to us as obstacle and enemy or as teacher and friend depends entirely on our perception of reality. It depends on our relationship with ourselves. Why don't you keep so, reading the next the, the other the other pages? But or yeah, if you want to say something, yeah, say something. Yeah. Nothing. I well this is like the word empowerment. I could not be better explained than than what I just read to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then what a line, just to repeat that line, which is yeah. like talk about useful I mean, what this line is just so beautiful. Where is this uh, what may appear to be an arrow or a sword we can actually experience as a flower. Yeah. Wow, how beautiful is that? Mm. Okay, so I'm gonna continue reading. The teachings tell us that obstacles occur at the outer level and at the inner level. In this context, the outer level is the sense that something or somebody has harmed us, interfering with the harmony and peace we thought was ours. Some rascal has ruined it all. This particular sense of obstacle occurs in relationships and in many other situations. We feel disappointed, harmed, confused, and attacked in a variety of ways. People have felt this way from the beginning of time. As for the inner op- as for the inner level of obstacle, perhaps nothing ever really attacks us except our own confusion. Perhaps there is no solid obstacle except our own need to protect ourselves from being touched. Maybe the only enemy is that we don't like the way reality is now and therefore wish it would go away fast. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about not liking the way reality is now. <laughs> now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, if, this is like a mm-hmm. huge sledgehammer of of now. <laughs> Global yes. now. Yes. yes. Yeah. And I and I and I also have to say these passages are the ones they feel so true for me i mean it's that we each and every one of us has to work out like who we are and how we are in this moment with a particular intensity and Mm. then and then i also feel like there are so many people who are literally where these obstacles are you know existential um I I wondered if also like you 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 your mother was Venezuelan right you you 
weren't born in Venezuela, but you went back there. <clears throat> and that is also a place that has had a lot of dire, kind of apocalyptic uh, realities in recent years. And I, I wonder if that, I wonder how you read these things, like how you've read that with that context, which to me mm. feels feels resonant with now kind of what every country, every community is experiencing on some level, the severity. Well, I feel like that passage deals with the inner and the outer obstacle, and the outer obstacle is just unavoidable. It's just unavoidable. Hmm. Like, and it just grows in, mag in magnification, and, and I think Venezuela is a good example of that magnification that everyone's feeling now. But, but before this pandemic, you know, there was like, uh, think of Australia. I mean, there were these yeah. massive fires, like right. Australia was on fire. And that was like real concentrated outer obstacle. And, and Venezuela, Venezuela, people with mass starvation and just yeah. mass, uh, like the entire country is being held hostage basically by the military and a dictator. I mean, this is yeah. insane. And this is real concentrated suffering. And then, of course, you know, Tibet, mass torture in Tibet. And yeah. so these, these are really concentrated obstacles. And it doesn't seem like those things ever go away. And um, for me, like I said, you know, like being practicing Buddhism is kind of like preparing for a pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> Only in that mm. it's like a daily, oh, Bear witness to the suffering of, of, of this world. Bear witness to your, the suffering that your emotions are causing you. Sit with it. Learn to sit with it. You know, sitting and just sit with it. Somehow that's, that's like a big part of the practice. Yeah. Just sit with this. And then there's the inner obstacles. And, and I think that's like the beauty of, of and the usefulness so much. I mean, there's so many reasons why this book is useful, but one of them is that you, you, you can turn to it to be kind of taught how to, to kind of deal with the things you can deal with. And um, those outer obstacles will never really stop coming. But the inner ones, right. you can learn how to kind of, kind of dance with those. And, you know, mm. and, and I think that's so helpful. But, um, yeah, I mean... Uh, yeah. It's a compounded suffering now, thanks, thanks to this, of course. And you, the the practice of Tonglen, which is which is also in, which Pema Chodron also writes about, um, especially in this chapter, the love that will not die. That is that is I've read that that's also something you practice on a daily basis. Yes, Tonglen. Taking and sending. Tonglen is really helpful. I don't know if it helps anybody but me, though. It's pretty selfish, actually. When <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, how can I deal with reading the news, in a way? So I'm just, you know, it's like a headline after headline of, of horror. And so how do I deal with it? And um, it's like, you know, are you familiar with Bernie Glassman? Yes, I am. Yeah. You know, he actually, was kind of an activist, an activist uh, Buddhist. <laughs> what was his? He had some, there was some yeah, title attached to him. Yeah, but you know, he would go to Auschwitz mm -hmm. and and have these retreats, and 
Mm-hmm. And it was like, it was, and he kept, and one of the lines on his lines is that he's just there and they're bearing witness to the suffering that occurred, mm-hmm. the bearing witness of it. And so you kind of treat reading the news each day like, Whoa, mm-hmm. okay, this is a way of dealing with so much horror in the news. I'm bearing witness to it. And then I will practice Tonglen. I'm going to breathe in all the suffering, the anger, the pain, the confusion. And I'm going to breathe out healing and peace and wisdom and love and strength. And that helps me. And it feels like I'm doing something when, as opposed to just taking in all of this, this horror and sorrow and sorrow. And you can practice it throughout your day. I don't know if it's the same for you, but every 15 minutes... I'm shocked that it actually, um, that's why I found a really kind of quiet place in the house. But every 15 minutes I hear a siren or mm. uh, a cop cop siren. You know, it's an ambulance siren or a cop siren. Yeah. Is there, so this, you're, in L, you're in L.A., L.A. County. I'm in L.A. Yeah, yeah. I'm in L.A., I'm in um, East L.A. And, and I don't know if it's somebody that's, you know, is it is it somebody, is it is it the ambulance going to, pick up a body? Is it somebody that's sick and needs immediate, you know, critical um, emergency care? Or is it is it a crime? I'm not entirely sure, but it is consistent. It's every 15 minutes. And it's and it began, you know, when this began. And so what do, what do you do? I hear it and I'm okay, I can, I can practice Tonglen. This is kind of mm. a way of somehow being proactive amidst the helplessness of so much suffering and horror around you. Um, now, this is the lay, the deep kindergarten version of, of it. So yeah. that, and I'm me, I'm the kindergarten. I mean, I'm really yeah. like, I'm fully lay practitioner 101. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really so, first off, amazing that we're talking about this book, but also everyone should know that Pema Children is very much alive. Yes, yes. <laughs> and, and and teaching still. And like, you know, she, they, they just did a, a beautiful kind of um, Zoom meeting that I think Tricycle facilitated. Yes, the Tricycle is doing a lot of those with wonderful teachers. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I also uh, got to say that, you, you know, it's amazing you I'm very jealous of you in a mil, for a million reasons but you've had conversations with Matthew Ricard and Joan Halifax yeah. yeah and um and maybe more than anyone Mary Oliver and if yeah. I think about something that is such comforting useful um yes. like healing wisdom it's this book when things fall apart but also Mary Oliver. Devotions is like a, every day I turn to devotions. Mm. A, a, any poem from devotions, although that's also just as earmarked as when things fall apart. Yeah. Uh, so I just want to throw in a little Mary Oliver <laughs> uh, love. And yeah, please check out devotions. That's um, one. Yeah. Well, for for having, for for doing the 101 Tonglen, it, what the way you described it really um, corresponds to how I feel Pema Chodron describes it in this book. Do you want to read some from that from that um, chapter? 
The love that will not die. Yeah, absolutely. Chapter 14, The Love That Will Not Die. In difficult times, it is only bodhicitta that heals. When inspiration has become hidden, when we feel ready to give up, this is the time when healing can be found in the tenderness of pain itself. This is the time to touch the genuine heart of bodhicitta. The father of a two-year-old talks about turning on the television and unexpectedly seeing the bombing of the federal building in Oklahoma City. He watched as the firemen carried the limp and bloody bodies of toddlers from the ruins of the daycare center on the building's first floor. He says that in the past he was able to distance himself from other people's suffering. But since he's become a father, things have changed. He feels as if each of those children were his child. He feels the grief of all the parents as his own grief. This kinship with the suffering of others, this inability to continue to regard it from afar, is the discovery of our soft spot, hmm. the discovery of bodhicitta. Bodhicitta is a Sanskrit word that means noble or awakened heart. It is said to be present in all beings, just as butter is inherent in milk and oil is inherent in a sesame seed. This soft spot is inherent in you and me. Mm. I love that. Mm. This kinship with the suffering of others. I love that too. I love that. And also this is like, you know, maybe at first you go, what is it? What am I talking about? Bodhicitta. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then... All we know, all we hear, then later we see it's like it's a Sanskrit word, and it just means noble or awakened heart, and mm -hmm. it's something we all have. That's it. This is not some like exclusive thing. <laughs> something we all have. Wow, that's so. Talk about hopeful. Talk about like yeah. something yeah. to be like. Whoa! It turns out I have this thing already. I'm not trying to add on. I just, it's like, whoa, I have already in me this thing, this noble or awakened heart is there. Wow. She's also so, you know, there's so much, there's so many layers of like, it's both, it's like truths that just jump out at you and mm. then things, and then the complexity inside them. And I mean, this thing that she goes on to talk about in this chapter is that, so as you say, we all have this, we have this ability, this soft, this softness, this ability to be, to know, be present to, to be in kinship with the suffering other others. And yet, as we all also reflexively understand, we, you know, it just feels like too much, as you said, like reading the newspaper, I'm, I'm going to try the Tonglin. <laughs> Because I can't, I can't read it. I can't, I can't read it all anymore. Um, but what she said, but it, the, the, it, she says, when we think that by protecting ourselves from suffering, which I think is what I'm doing when I'm just turning off the news, is mm. she says we think that by protecting ourselves from suffering. Not that I think the news is necessarily the best diet, but okay, we think that by protecting <laughs> ourselves from suffering, we are being kind to ourselves. The truth is, we only become more fearful more hardened and more alienated, we experience ourselves as being separate from the whole. 
this separateness becomes like a prison for us, a prison that restricts us to our personal hopes and fears and to caring only for the people nearest to us. Curiously enough, if we primarily try to shield ourselves from discomfort, we suffer. It's just so true. So true. And strange. It's a strange thing about us creatures, humans. You know, uh, Pema Children's principal teacher, Chagyang Trungpa, has a line which is lean into the sharp, uh, sharp sp- sp- spots, <laughs> lean into the sharp object. Mm. I, I guess I'm paraphrasing now, but he just reminded me of it. This, the, the, the kind of the seeming paradox that, you know, here's this horrible thing. I'm going to turn away from it. And that just creates more and more fear and makes that thing so much more unmanageable and much more painful. And and that I paraphrase the line by her teacher Chagung Trumpa, which is the, the 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 lean into the sharp edges. I think that's the line. Lean into the sharp edges, which is really kind of like face this thing as opposed to turn from it. So when you're when you're practicing Tonglen, like reading the newspaper or whatever, I mean, she always she talks about this as a practice that you can do while you're. I mean, that it can be ordinary. It can also be. In the summer, she says, brushing your hair, listening to the rain, making music, <laughs> um, which you have some experience at. Um, so it's just a frame of mind with which you approach something? Or is that how it starts? Kind of. I mean, it's definitely also a way of of kind of unburdening yourself from, from yourself, too, because it's a relief to care about somebody else. It's a mm-hmm. really, it's a relief to realize that to get out of your head too. Mm-hmm. So like I say, I don't know if it is helping that person that I'm sending that, mm-hmm. that wave of love, of strength, of wisdom, of healing. I don't know if it's helping them, but, but it ha- helps me. And, and that's the one one kind of place to be because I'm, I, you know, that classic story of, when the airplane is, there's no oxygen, you know, you don't put the mask on the kid first, you put it on yourself and then you yeah, can put it on, right. the, on the child. And it's like, okay, you have to kind of work on yourself in order to be able to help others. And, and yeah. And that Tonglen is a really, really wonderful way of, of having a kind of consistent practice of getting out of yourself and being compassionate for others and remembering that there are other human beings on this planet because there's no shortage of the opportunity to work on it. And especially yeah. not now, uh, especially now, especially now there's no shortage. There's no shortage. We, that's why it is this sledgehammer of nowness. Like, whoa, this is like a constant thing that is happening and it is not kind of just going away because we wanted to. We're really forced to lean into the sharp edges more than ever. We're standing on a sharp edge. We're sitting on it, (laughs) you know, and the really cool thing, really, really cool, cool, cool thing about Pema Chodron's, I think, wisdom style is kind of like about, it's about kind of be curious. There's this kind of Mm -hmm. underlying, like Mm -hmm. approach this fear and approach this 
anxiety and approach this this heartbreak with a curiosity. Whoa. Yeah. Like, oh, this is interesting. Like, I'm just a tourist here, checking it out, taking photos. I don't actually live in this place. <laughs> you know, and so Because this is it like, is be- happening, whether you want it to or not, whether you exactly. like it or not. It is happening. So can you go, is it this like, ah, this, because it is, it, it is definitely happening, right? It's definitely mm-hmm. happening. Whoa, mm-hmm. it's happening. And, and can I just, can I approach it with this curiosity? Whoa, this is happening. Or, ah, this is happening. You know, this is kind of this attitude. Can I just have a little bit more curious kind of feeling about it? I'm, and, and, and then I can let the wave kind of pass because, wow, I don't think I've ever personally felt nor had the my my friends and, and family feel so completely distracted and focused at the same time and so completely exhausted and weirdly energized at the same time and so completely overwhelmed by uncertainty and fear than now, you know, and it's this tidal wave. And yeah. so I'll, I'll get a call or a text and they're going through the tidal wave. What is going to happen? What's going to happen? And and at that moment, maybe I'll be in this feeling of, hey, it's okay. I, I feel pretty calm. I can accept that. I, yeah. I, I never know what's going to happen, actually. So I can kind of talk <laughs> of, talk them through the tidal wave. And then it, and then I'll need to call someone because I'm going through the tidal wave. Right, right. But through it all, if I can remember, like Pema's cool wisdom style of curiosity, like, oh, okay. Whoa, I'm in a wave. This is interesting. Oh, Mm -hmm. okay. And also what I like about that is, and this I think is true of spiritual disciplines and spiritual practices that, and, you know, virtues, what do you say, those superpowers of like gratitude Mm -hmm. and patience and hope that, that in any given moment, carrying any of those is too much to ask of somebody, Mm -hmm. maybe in any given year. Mm-hmm. And so, but we care, we also carry them together, right? Like in that, you know, in the one phone call, you're able to be present to that. And then mm-hmm. somebody can offer you that gift that like we're none, none of this, none of this spiritual wisdom or spiritual resilience is follows the American rules of, you know, being self-made men, right? It's, mm. <laughs> oh yeah. Right. right, it's, right. It, it, some of the ways we've just been trained culturally early though, you know, uh, get in the way of grasping what this is about. It's not about being heroic. It's not about being heroic. It's not about being saints. And you know that American thing definitely isn't just American. <laughs> I'd say it's a global, yeah, like thing. This kind of global, you know, it, you don't, you know, children. I don't know in what country are children taught that you know they can find strength and vulnerability. It's yeah. okay not to know. It's okay to cry. Yeah. You know, these things are just like, whoa, I don't know where they, they tell they tell them that. You have to like, yeah, that's why this book is so amazingly helpful because yeah. it's so just fully uh, applicable on a very universal, you know, platform. I was thinking when you were speaking a minute ago about... Um, you know, the value, it's, I mean, this is about keeping the softness alive in ourselves and um, thinking of some other language from a teacher of mine, not, like, he's, he's, a, he's a peace builder, he's somebody who's helped create, build peace over decades in like Colombia and Northern Ireland, John Paul Lederach, and 
He's talking recently. He wrote something about how part of the challenge of how we move through this time and into whatever comes next is about keeping our fragility resilient. Ooh. You know, it's just other. Wow. Right? Hmm. Because the That's fragility is so, a fact, yeah. right? We don't want it to be, but it is. It's a fact. Wow. Yes, I love that. I love that. Oh, I love that. This has been so wonderful. This is so, I didn't know. Yeah, I think it's just such a successful improvisation. Um, oh, geez. Have we, uh, should we start? <laughs> sorry, <laughs> sorry. That's the worst joke. It's the oldest, dumbest joke. I hate that I say that I said that. Sorry. It's okay. Well, I was thinking, I was thinking, I wanted to actually just, there were some, there were a couple of passages I marked right at the beginning of the book in the When Things Fall Apart chapter that I thought mm-hmm. I might read. And then I was actually going to ask you to read something. Um, well, I just want to say before I do this, I've been listening to a lot of your music. Um, just like had it on in the background, like constantly oh, in the last are few tough days. Enough, you know, you don't really need to add that burden on yourself. <laughs> no, it's been so wonderful. But you know, your song, your the body breaks, which is yes, which is maybe what I mean. It's a so ten or fifteen years ago, maybe that you wrote that, <laughs> recorded it. Yes. Um, that one feels. That one uh, has kind of been on this. I put that put it in, you know. Well, thank you. Playlists. And it feels really, I I just, I don't know, I feel like so much of the weird thing that we shouldn't have to wake up to, but that we do, is that we inhabit bodies and that they're frail and, um, mm. right, it's just this truth in our midst and that song. Um, and And it's also so... so beautiful such a beautiful a thing that gives us such pleasure and I don't know I feel like that song evokes all of that right now in a way that it probably wouldn't have if we weren't in the midst of a pandemic it would have to have different it would be landing differently in me hmm. mm. well, thank you for saying that thank mm. you so maybe I'll read a few of these parts from when things fall apart um, just because I I just want to read them and see if they they struck me when I was getting ready. Things falling apart is a kind of testing and also a kind of healing. We think that the point is to pass the test or to overcome the problem, but the truth is that things don't really get solved. They come together and they fall apart. Then they come together again and fall apart again. It's just like that. The healing comes from letting there be room for all of this to happen. Room for grief, for relief, for misery, for joy. A little bit later on, she says, The only time we ever know what's really going on, the only time we ever know what's really going on, is when the rug's been pulled out and we can't find anywhere to land We use these situations either to wake ourselves up or to put ourselves to sleep. Right now, in the very instant of groundlessness, is the seed of taking care of those who need our care 
and of discovering our goodness. Amen. Amen. You know, and I've read those passages because they're in the second chapter, which is, you know, sometimes I just get stuck on the second chapter and read it over and over again. I've read them in so many different situations and conditions over the years when things fell, you know, things fell apart. That is just so... Now, now it is just perfect. That passage is perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Well, and it's just magnified right now, as we've been saying. And, and, you know, there's also something really, really hopeful in that, you know, kind of when you initially read things, kind of get come together and they fall apart right. there's that sorrow oh no i don't want it to fall apart yeah. like yeah. you know i'm I hold on to that that good thing but then look at it inversely and it's like this time will pass this this, yeah. this is going to yeah. fall apart too this yeah. whole this thing we're going through this pandemic it will fall apart yeah yeah right the falling apart will fall apart too well, that's nice let's uh, we can embrace we can yeah. celebrate that yeah because it's a fact things yeah. fall apart yeah I, if I, okay, this is page one. Okay, this is, in my version, these are the last two paragraphs of the, the love that will not die chapter. Um, do, you, what, do you have your book? See. Yeah. It starts with spiritual awakening. Oh, I see, I see. Okay. It's, and then I've, the second, the second paragraph is really got long. It. Would Would you, I would just love to hear you read those, these two paragraphs. Of course. (laughs) Spiritual awakening is frequently described as a journey to the top of a mountain. We leave our attachments and our worldliness behind and slowly make our way to the top. At the peak, we have transcended all pain. The only problem with this metaphor is that we leave all the others behind. Our drunken brother, our schizophrenic sister, our tormented animals and friends. Their suffering continues, unrelieved by our personal escape. In the process of discovering bodhicitta, the journey goes down, not up. It's as if the mountain pointed downward, (laughs) pointed toward the center of the earth instead of reaching into the sky. Instead of transcending the suffering of all creatures, we move toward turbulence and doubt. We jump into it. We slide into it. We tiptoe into it. We move toward it however we can. We explore the reality and unpredictability of insecurity and pain, and we try not to push it away. If it takes years, if it takes lifetimes, we let it be as it is, at our own pace, without speed or aggression. We move down and down and down. With us move millions of others, our companions, an awakening from fear. At the bottom, we discover water, the healing water of bodhicitta. Right down there in the thick of things, we discover the love that will not die. (sighs) Amazing. (laughs) You're such a joy. I'm so happy to meet you. I'm so glad you're in the world. I'm glad your music in the world, and now I know you. Thanks. I'm so happy to meet you. I'm really, I really am. I'm really honored, and thank you so much. This is like, 
the best. This is the best. And, you know, at one point, um, Zach, one of the producers, yeah. had said, maybe, maybe we'll, we'll postpone our conversation, our improvisation. I mean. <laughs> yeah. And I thought, great, I get to, like, read more of the book. Kind of, you know? <laughs> yeah. This is, this is so, so thanks for nothing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, I I actually, I had the same feeling today. My feeling was I just don't know if I'm up to anything, right? Like, because yeah. these days just, they're all the same in some way and, and it feels oppressive somehow, you know, not having, an, I don't know, it's not like I don't have anything left to do, but, you know, it's just all so strange and this was so healing for me. Me too, really. Oh. Thank you so much. Oh. It's also like, I didn't realize I liked people. You know, I'm like this very anti-people kind of person. <laughs> like, I just want to be alone, and I, I any excuse to not have to see anybody is great. And it turns out, I mean, this is so absurd because everyone's going through so much more. But for me, it's like, wow, I really like people. It's really nice to talk to people. Yeah. Zoom. I went to Passover on Zoom and it was like my first Passover. <laughs> my best friend constantly saying, oh, we're doing Passover. I, no, I can't do it. I did it on Zoom and it was so much fun. I didn't oh. want to get off yeah. the thing. And, and um, mm. so I didn't, you know, I don't want to do anything. And yet... This is the best thing I could have done. So thank you so much. Oh. Well, thank you. We'll let you know um, what we're doing with this. We're, you know, we're making up how to produce right now. But I'm so glad that we push this forward and we will we'll make we'll make something happen. So, yeah, I, I, I wish you a beautiful rest of your day, whatever that means. <laughs> you too, you too. Please stay safe and you too. and uh, yeah. whatever you need, never hesitate to reach out. You know, I'm, <laughs> okay. I'm a fan, and and now I'm I'm hope, I'm your friend. So oh. whatever you need, let me know. Oh, oh, same here. Okay, blessings. Okay. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>